Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing excerpts from a discussion I moderated with Alan Hill, the Director of the Telecommunication Services Office at the General Services Administration. The industry group act IAC sponsored the event about the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, or EIS, contract. It's like a locomotive, and, and throwing coal on it, and it's picking up steam, and it's getting faster and faster. I'll say this. It's extremely important to be deliberate in the beginning because there's a lot of mission needs that agencies have, and they're complex. It's easy from outsider to look at things and say, why isn't going faster? But we have a responsibility to the American public to modernize, but not break our services we provide to the public. In doing so, CIOs have a great deal of responsibility to ensure that us as public servants are able to continue to support them as we modernize. So it's not something that's easy. In my old role at education, in, in its efforts to modernize, there was a lot of things in terms of transition and moving things to the cloud. And uh, there was three cloud providers that we worked with to provide those types of capabilities. But we had to not break the, the mission uh, because what does education do? It supports uh, our students and our schools across the nation. And we need to make sure that they're able to support those uh, customers. I think that's a key point here when we talk about not breaking the mission. And, and is, is that the trend you're seeing among agencies as you're talking to them, as you're working with them through the, the development of the fair opportunity solicitations? Because I, I was talking to uh, one of the vendors just the other day, and they said there's a little bit of a myth going on around the, the like for like, right? Mm-hmm. The lift and shift. Right. That know that yes, maybe some agencies are doing that, but do they also have that eye toward modernization? Because as you said, the deliberate the need to be deliberate of modernized and not break what you're already doing. Absolutely. It is essential that, because the, the, the person that's going to be answering that phone call at 4 o'clock in the morning because something doesn't work, it's going to be that CIO. And it's going to be that secretary, if, if it's coming from the administration, of why something isn't. And so they have to look at things and weigh the needs of, of what they do in their mission and as they begin charting out. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, that agencies have done, as they become more aware, because technology is changing rapidly. Today's technology is not the days than when I was an engineer. And, and I, it was a lot easier back, you know, 20 years ago uh, when I was turning the wrench. Today's a lot more complex, and there's a lot of things that have to be looked at. There's no longer white and black. It's not no longer network and security and infrastructure, things like that. It is very much great now, the way the technologies work today. And so they have to understand how the technologies and go from traditional as they begin moving to new technologies and how to ensure that the services are continued. As you're talking to agencies, as you're, as you're working through the development of the Fair Opportunity Solicitations, and if you go to the GSA's website, you can see the transition progress, at least up until June 30th, and you can actually see which agencies, you know, how many solicitations they expect to issue, where are they at in the process with GSA, where are they at with the process of releasing to the broader community, the, the, the nine vendors. Yeah. At which point do you say to them, hey, this looks like you're buying you know, copper wire. We, we can't buy copper wire anymore. At what point do you say to them, 
you need to think about, okay, that's two years, but what about five years? How are you going to modernize? How about Because it's a 15-year contract in some cases. That's correct. So the, there's, there's two aspects of that. One, in our scope reviews, we're constantly communicating. We've got a great team, both on the contract side and the technical side, that's providing advisement to the agencies on how to make their solicitation modular uh, and also being able to make it to where it incorporates. There may be a need to do a like-for-like transition, but down the road, there is a modernization effort to that like-for-like. And I'll say this to industry partners. If you don't see something in there, be sure to go on your Q&As and say something. something, You know, Everything is not necessarily caught. There's a lot of information that our teams is looking at and the agencies are looking at. And sometimes there are oversight. And I can tell you uh, industry has some of the best eyes at looking at it. So when there's RFIs that are put out there, provide that feedback. And uh, hopefully those those type of comments be incorporated. What about when the solicitation, when the FOS comes out, is it too late to provide feedback to, to GSA or to the agency? When the full opportunity comes out, it's kind of dependent yes. of how it's framed and whether it could be done or not. You mentioned a very interesting thing about modular, mm-hmm. and I think that's an important thing. Are you seeing agencies looking at this as, as kind of like, Again, one to two, three to five, five to seven years. Are they breaking up in their mind that way? Are they going to release task orders that way? Or uh, I even had one, again, I'll go back to the conversations I had over the last week. Uh, one industry person mentioned to me about we're seeing m- multiple words being made under EIS and then having those vendors, the two, three, five vendors, however many win, compete for task orders. Mm-hmm. It's almost creating... What I hate is the BPA on top of the, the schedule. Mm-hmm. We can go down that path later. But give me a sense of are you starting to see some of that? Like, well, maybe we don't need just one. Maybe we could compete task order by task order for specific uh, modernization efforts. I, I don't want to second guess what the agencies are doing and how, whether they do one solicitation or multiple solicitations. They know their needs better than uh, anybody. We understand their needs too, and we provide uh, advice. But from the surface, being able to look at a solicitation, there might be some business drivers in the background within that agency that are driving those decisions, too, that we may not have preview to. Uh, and, and that's important. Let me, let me actually maybe try to put a finer point on that, because, again, the point what I was trying to make was, are you seeing any kind of trends where an, agent, where an agency is saying, we're not going to make one award, but we're going to make multiple awards under EIS, and then have those vendors compete for task orders to modernize, to, to update, to change out. So think about uh, the, the example I'll give you is Commerce Department because that's the one example they gave me. Mm-hmm. They're looking at potentially some sort of make two or three awards and then, then having running competitions among those two or three awardees. I don't know if that's a trend you're starting to see, if that's a discussion I you're can't having. Say, I can't say that's a bro- across the board. Um, I think that is one strategy uh, to, to use. And it might be effective for commerce to use that type of strategy. But uh, these agencies have been looking at these for a long time. I'll say this about EIS, though. They don't necessarily have to to bring on new technology, new capabilities. They don't have to go back out and recompete. That's what's great about EIS. It allows the continuization of modernization through the life cycle of the contract to be added in without having to add those those, uh, recompetes in. Now, that being said... It's also important to look at things and say, 
are there new types of things that are specialized that they do want to set aside because they want to target those specialized areas that they don't want a, a bunch of vendors necessarily out there competing for it. Let's go back around to the, the status of the program today. Uh, we know we have three vendors who uh, have ETOs. We have three others that are fairly close. And mm-hmm. I know Alan uh, Thomas had said, the FAS commissioner said, he hopes that all nine will have them by the end of the calendar year. Is that still in progress? Are you still, are you still very optimistic in those, from those de- timelines? We have uh, several companies right now right in the mix of getting their ATOs here within the next month and the rest within the next two months. Um, they are making great progress. We are constantly in communication with the six vendors and helping to ensure that they have their ducks lined up on their business system. And uh, they've, they've passed a major milestone of getting their SSPs, and we're actually in the assessment phase with these vendors. And so it is moments any time now that vendors are going to start getting their ATOs here. So the other side of the coin of that is obviously the Agency for Opportunity Solicitations. The data, of course, from June shows a, 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 big, a big way to go. Do you have the latest update of where we're at? You know, it's been a month and a half since the data kind of was released. How much closer are we? Because September 30th, as you know, is coming. Yes. I'll say this on the September 30th date. There are some agencies that aren't going to make that date. But that's okay. That's kind of like a, I think, we've talked at an executive level with the agencies. And, an example, I was talking to one agency, and they realized that they didn't have the modernization incorporated in their solicitation that they needed. And it was understandable to sit there and say, hold on a second, let's make sure we do this right. And so they pulled it back, and, and, and they've gone back and they've incorporated that type of modernization. So that's important. Because we don't want to sit out there and uh, put something out there that's a like-for-like like and really doesn't incorporate. Because the whole, it defeats the whole purpose of this transition. So there's still, even though the September 30th date may pass for some agencies, it's more of a yellow light type thing. Look, folks, we really need to turn it up a little bit more in these next few months and get things out there. And agencies are responding. They are. They, they are really uh, buckling down. Uh, in terms of, of where we're at, we have uh, 54 that have passed scope review now, and there's uh, four public awards uh, now, not uh, just two, and uh, Department of Justice twice, Railroad Retirement Board, and the NASA. And so that's great, um, and there's more to come. There's still a lot of, of the solicitations that are on, that have passed the scope review, there's a lot of opportunity for the industry, all nine vendors, to, to, to capitalize on and, and compete for those things and provide the best value to the, back to those agencies. And so I, I would say that um, uh, things are going to get really exciting here within the next couple of months and stuff. As, as the, one, they get their ATOs for the remaining six, and, and two, the, the, the agencies are going to start seeing some great innovative uh, solutions provided by these nine vendors. Have you had conversations with, uh, I know, for instance, Alan Thomas mentioned part of his quarterly briefings with GSA administrators and EIS slide, if not more than one slide. Mm-hmm. Have you had conversations with uh, not just the GSA administrator, but also OMB, the Hill? What, what are those discussions like? Because I mentioned at the beginning, obviously, there's some language in the NDA that specifically references EIS. What's the interest level from the Hill? What, what's the conversation with OMB that you can talk through? We've had 
met with Congressman Connolly's office. As you know, he's a very much uh, engaged in this EIS and very much a proponent for it. Positive. The, their main thing is they want uh, his office wants to make sure that the agencies are get, are uh, getting the support they need and uh, and anything that they can do to help. They are they're he's extremely engaged in in that aspect. Alan Thomas, we myself, uh, Laura Stanton, who's the deputy commissioner, uh, and uh, Bill Z have biweekly meetings with Alan Thomas, and EIS is a part of that discussion. And so we keep him abreast of everything going on, and he, un- he has the pulse of what's going on, and he's tracking this extremely closely. And, and I imagine it's his job to communicate that up. That's correct. So it's, it's his conversation with OMB, it's his conversation with the administrator. That's ab- right. absolutely we have to take a break. My guest today is Alan Hill, the director of the Telecommunication Services Office at the General Services Administration. I sat down with Hill during an event sponsored by the industry group Act IAC, talking about the EIS contract. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Alan Hill the director of the Telecommunication Services Office at the General Services Administration. I sat down with Hill during an event sponsored by industry group Act IAC to discuss the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, or EIS, contract. I know how much you want to have new and innovative technologies available through EIS. Mm-hmm. A lot of agencies are taking advantage of OTAs and CSOs as a means to get to technology quicker and potentially circumventing some of the normal contracting. Um, how do you see that impacting what you're, you and your team are trying to do to bring innovative technologies to your clients? I was just up at Air Force the other day talking with them because they use OTA for some of their, their needs. And it's important, and that's where we're communicating with the agencies, or with the DOD, I should say, that have leveraged OTA to understand, to make sure that, and it's, I think it makes sense to use an OTA for the purpose of validating that what that technology is going to do is going to actually support their mission. It's not something that's long-term. It's a short-term. And so we want to make sure that we create that soft landing for those things that where OTA proves that it's going to support them uh, that we uh, enabled them to have a soft landing into the high types of solutions. So let, let me give an example, right? And um, I have Kevin here in the front who is my star player for solutions development. And we are really working with our industry partners to bring the types of things that are out there on the commercial side. And let me give, for example, uh, software-defined wide area networks, okay, or software-defined cloud interconnects. Capabilities that is being leveraged on the commercial side that we're bringing to bear uh, through EIS. And the purpose of that is to enable them. Well, agencies, the network, today's network for the, for the federal government is not what we need to support the Cloud Smart initiative. We have to create a network that is based on cloud technology. And that is going to take a heavy lift to do that. It's going to take time. And all nine vendors are going to be involved in helping to make that a reality for the federal government. And so our entire team is working with our industry partners to, as emerging technologies come, for example, 5G, 
to bring that to bear to where it's as soon as those OTAs are, are coming to end, that they can turn around and leverage a vehicle like EIS as a means to begin leveraging that emerging technology. Let, let's actually go down that path for a second because is it the responsibility, maybe that's a, the wrong word, but maybe do the vendors bring to GSA, hey, we want to add this to our contract, or does GSA, does Kevin have to go to the vendors and say, hey, guys, what are you doing with 5G? Or I mean, that's an easy one, but what are you doing with, like, we have our friends from AT&T here. They're doing the enterprise IT as a service o- OTA for the, the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And let's say that becomes a huge success, like I'm sure the AT&T folks will tell you that it will be. Who brings that onto the contract? Like, who, who how's that push and pull work? So it actually can come in three methods. We could see it at GSA as a capability that we want to bring. Example, I was talking to one vendor who had a capability that would help manage across in an agnostic fashion all the cloud providers, which I think is a capability that the EIS vendors are primed to help be a broker for agencies to manage multiple cloud environments. And so that's a capability we want to kind of uh, make sure that's available. Uh, Then there's agencies that come to us and say, we need this, okay? And the vendors come up and say, hey, here's this new capability that we've developed, particularly from the emerging technology perspective, that we need to look at and begin running pilots on them, testing the things, making sure that it is, whether it's an agency sponsoring it or whether we're doing it to help uh, facilitate and make sure that that we have good use cases that agencies can sit there and make good decisions off of. And the modification to the IS contract, hopefully it's pretty easy? It's extremely easy. Extremely easy. It's extremely easy. And that's one of the things that I was talking to Air Force about was the fact that as they look at this as a service model, what's great about that is that they don't have to wait uh, for things. They can be able to add things in as they find the new needs come on. That's that's great for the for any agency. Excellent, Mark. Do you have a question? This is kind of related. Um, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that the vendors can go back and talk to uh, the agency about an RFI and you know and say that look, you may not have done this, this, and this. Who do they talk to? Who do the vendors talk to when they when they come across something like that? So when they see an RFI that's released, they they should be responding to it and providing because the RFI. We are a big believer to leverage RFIs. When I was at education, every single thing came out as an RFI. Why? Because industry would help point to things that we may have missed or provide better ways that would allow us to put things together in better context so that we get the best value from from what they're being offered. And so that's one way. There's also that uh, we have the vendors come to us and talk about things that they're seeing that are improvements that we could do at GSA, and so that we, we take those type of lessons learned from them and how we need to change what, how we're delivering services for the agencies. Jason, this is actually for you. For me. <laughs> um, you made the comment about commerce, and I'm not sure what vendors are seeing. But what you said really doesn't follow procurement practices. Okay. Uh, you're not supposed to award overlapping task orders to multiple vendors with the same scope. So, <laughs> so I don't know what if the vendor's interpreting it correctly or if commerce is off base on what they're doing, but that's, that's not the way it's supposed to work. So I just want to make sure that it doesn't go into your article that that's what EIS is not an ID. You can't do IDIQs within an IDIQ. That would lead to a lot of problems. But you can make 
You give me two awards. Different scope. Different scope. You got to talk to commerce. It sounds like. That, that, <laughs> well, let's the, talk about that a little bit because it brings sure. up an interesting point. Is that there's so much flexibility in EIS, and you guys right. have really promoted that idea of we want it to be flexible. Are you finding that agencies want to be too flexible? Or are they trying to go, if you will, too far out of scope? I mean, like you have to reel people in. What's what's the discussions are like with with what you're seeing from agencies as they're developing the FOS? As they develop their full fair opportunities, that there's a variety of approaches that they're taking. So, not the the way that one agency approaches how they're getting services may work for them because they have a lot different. I'll give you an example. DHS, DOD, all of them have very complex things that they have to be concerned with. And they may require different ways of putting something out on the street that the next agency, Social Security Administration or someone else, may not necessarily uh, work, work for them. Sure. And so the, 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 it's a, we don't want to second-guess the agency. We care about modernization and given fair opportunity and making sure it meets the scope of the, of the master contract. It's an interesting evolution that we've seen around EIS because initially if, when the contract was first awarded, there was a big push for it. It's, it's all about IT modernization. And it still is, but you guys seem to maybe have t- maybe taken a half a step back and said, we understand that maybe that's the long vision, the long-term vision, but in the short term we do realize that maybe there's some let's get you onto the new contract, let's start taking advantage of better pricing, there's going to be better capabilities automatically. Has, has that been a, maybe a little bit of a change in thinking from GSA? I wouldn't say that. It, it depends. So let's take, for example, there are some agencies that are extremely large and large, complex infrastructure that they have to deal with. And, and it might need, let's say, for example, TDM. Maybe they need to move. Now, recognizing the price points that you get on EIS is much better than its legacy contracts, much better. But true modernization is the only way to really realize true cost savings for our taxpayers. And that is the number one goal of every agency. They just can't break the mission in the process. Now, granted, they may transition some services as is for now, but I can assure you that every single agency is, is, is goal is to reduce that cost because they are they have to reduce what their spend is on on their IT services. Let's go down that path too because I think one of the big promises that we heard years and years ago about cloud, as an example, is oh it's going to save you tons of money. Then all of a sudden agencies are like, well I'm not really saving money, but I'm getting much better capabilities. What kind of savings? What kind of capabilities are you starting to see? I know the implementation hasn't quite happened yet. For a lot of agencies, a couple of small ones, but are, you, are there certain things you're starting to see like, oh, well, that used to cost X dollars, now it's X minus 10% or 20%? Savings can vary anywhere between 15% to 50 plus percent. It, it depends on what the service that they're getting. I, I, I'll do what people traditionally think about on network, any network type contract is a circuit. And so let's say, for example, an OC12, they go order it. They can get a one gig connection with the equal amount of bandwidth that an OC12 offers, and they're saving 50%. But they can bump up that speed to a gig, get that additional bandwidth that's really what they need because the bandwidth needs are increasing faster than cost savings, but they can still save around 35%. 
and so not only do they get increased capacity, but they still capitalize on that savings. But the thing is, the important is we even got to get a lot more innovative and, and just transition to the new technologies there on how we're doing things. And that's where, for example, software-defined networking is going to be, play an important role because the way the data traverses the network for cloud services is not the same way that it does in a traditional network. And so we have to, and these vendors are primed to provide that type of support and helping the agencies be able to leverage those, those technologies. We have to take a break. My guest today is Alan Hill, the director of the Telecommunication Services Office at the General Services Administration. I sat down with Hill during an event sponsored by the industry group Act IAC, talking about the EIS contract. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Alan Hill, the director of the Telecommunication Services Office at the General Services Administration. I sat down with Hill during an event sponsored by industry group Act IAC to discuss the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, or EIS, contract. Hi, I'm Ralph Wallace. I'm the IRS IPv6 Transition Manager. Telecommunications is a kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. My question, and listening here, showing, going government to government here without sharing too much information, the, uh, and knowing that EIS has a very uh, robust and rigorous IPv6 requirement in it, I'm the subject matter expert at the IRS for any EIS submittal with respect to the IPv6 requirement. So I'm the advocate within the IRS. For an example, I wrote the spec for IRS.gov for IPv6, uh, where just, by the way, folks, we crossed 50% utilization on IRS.gov in this past filing season over the IPv6 Internet. By the way, Kevin was at our IPv6 task force meeting. I'm really glad that he was there as well. Uh, but do you have an advocate on staff for a specific technology? I hear cloud. I'm sure cybersecurity, you're talking to DHS. But do you have, a, like, an IPv6 advocate on your staff going, you know, this really should be shaped to, to, make, to ensure that the vendors are complying with the standard FAR requirement for IPv6? The good thing about EIS, the IPv6 is bolted into it. So that, that, that when they pr- propose something... Uh, and so at education, moving from IP4 to IPv6 was not an easy lift. It's very complex to do that. And um, I, I, I'm not sure if AWS solved it, but even within AWS, they had uh, some challenges with IPv4 and IPv6. So um, the important thing is to make sure that the technology is compatible that when, because you might have something internal to your infrastructure that you still need to use IPv4, but I believe all nine of these vendors are ready to support to help make that soft landing from IPv4 to IPv6. All right, another question over here. Alan, thanks for being here. You were talking about your concern about modernization and for fair opportunity competition. If you start to see a trend where agencies are awarding to the incumbents and it's a small number of bidders, and they're doing more like-for-like. Is that something that concerns you? Does GSA do something different? Is EIS still a success? I can understand at the beginning stages that there might have been some agencies that kind of did a little bit like-for-like looking in their initial type things. Now, what's great about that is that they can change those things and add in those services, but we're not seeing that, the the, the like-for-like. I think it's dependent on how 
vendors look at it in terms of proposing against it. But I, I think now that, uh, uh, in fact, talking to one agency, they pulled back their solicitation because they said, we are going to put in some modernization into things. They have to be careful to make it sure it's a soft landing for them as they move from current technology. Um, and that's where the networks is more complex. Uh, we want to make sure the purpose of EIS is to make sure that all nine vendors are out there providing the best solution. That's let, let, me, the, let me put a finer point on Jim's question as well. I think there's some concern over the Justice Department decision, big $984 million contract. Uh, the rumor was there's only two bidders. Now, whether you want to confirm that or not, that's up to you. But GSA really can't control who bids either, can you? You can't tell, you know, Verizon, AT&T, CenturyLink, Granite, Mattel, you must bid on this. They either bid or they don't, and, and it's kind of out of your control. So, so coming from industry, but having BNP dollars, <laughs> you have to make decisions on no bid or no bid decisions. And so I can kind of relate to some of the challenges. In the case of the Department of Justice, I'm not sure how many. We don't have the preview to see what they did, nor do we have the preview to understand why they made their selection. But the selection was made based on the evaluation criteria, what they met their needs. But from a perspective of, of the, these nine vendors, they have to spend their BNP smartly. And they may choose not to bid ones, uh, particularly the small companies. Small companies cannot bid every single opportunity. All right, another question. Thank you again, Alan, for being here today. Um, as a vendor to the primes on the EIS, uh, we find it challenging when the RFIs are not uh, broadcast on FedBizOps or to be the successor to FedBizOps. Mm-hmm. It's really the nine uh, primes that are privy to the RFIs. So mm-hmm. just want to make that question and recommendation that, uh, that those RFIs are distributed in a public way way so that vendors are aware and can come with innovative ideas to their primes in a timely fashion. I think that's a a good suggestion. We can always go back to agencies and offer that recommendation. It's ultimately up to the agency to make that decision on how they provide that. Let me step on my soapbox for a second. Any questions or another one? You said uh, the uh, September deadline is kind of like a yellow light. How does and the agencies passed that. Did the other deadlines change? You've got one coming up in March for uh, 90% of the traffic on the, uh, on the EIS, and there's another one in 2023 with the LSA contracts ending and network, you know, networks. Deadlines don't change. Um, they are uh, there because we have mandates that we have to meet, and so those, those dates don't change. I don't think any of the other dates and we've been working very close and understand where the agencies are. I don't think they're going to miss any of the other dates. Um, I think they're really they're applying all the resources. They're working as hard as they can, and we're applying all the resources to help the agencies get across those finish lines. And I think the September 30th date would have been great to see 100% achieve, having to deal with some of the complexities of when I was at education. Uh, things slide, but at the end state when education was doing its transition of, of, of its predecessor, they actually met all the timelines. It was just it was important to have things planned properly to make sure that things go as smooth as possible. 
when you bring up this uh, idea of helping agencies kind of get, get across the finish line, whether it's September or the March 2023 or whatever the date is, GSA at one point offered, and, and it's probably before your time, the, the full service model, which was a very popular thing. Obviously, there's some ruling by the general counsel that they said you can't do that anymore. But talk maybe talk us through how you are helping agencies. We know the review process for the fair opportunity solicitations. What other assistance can agencies find? So there's a connections contract where you could get help. Correct. I don't know if that's still there, but talk us, walk us through maybe a little bit what GSA is, how you're working with agency customers. We have, a, for example, we have a tool that helps automate the generation of their solicitation, and we leverage that to help the agencies to kind of get there quicker. Uh, and, and it's a fabulous tool. When I was doing my work at Ed, I wished I had, had access to that at that time and stuff. Uh, we did um, their pivot contracts that came out on on um, EIS were use the tool, and, and it's very very useful. But uh, not only just from an acquisition standpoint are we helping agencies. Uh, we have technical experts to help them understand some of the whether it's a use case. Uh, for example, we have the, the Cloud Information Center that can help where they can go there for a knowledge base of not only the government but vendors too to understand some of the complexities of, of moving to the cloud. We're bringing on even more uh, experts, uh, making a, uh, some very important key hires here that are government personnel that are technical experts in, in the areas of solutions architect and networking and things like that to even better help agencies. Although we have some staff, we're, going to, we're up in our staff. Uh, and I'll go a little bit beyond that, too, to talk about agencies, because as they move to these new services, it's very apparent that because of the technology, they don't necessarily have the skills on staff to support that. And that's why it's important to look at as a service, managed network services, to help them, because Software-defined networking is not the same thing as the regular router switch guide. And you have, you have different skill sets in order to do that. Similar, everything that you have in router switch is part of software-defined networking in addition to what you need to understand on software-defined networking. And so it's a lot more complex. Uh, any of these services, and these vendors are primed to support those areas so that the agencies are not trying to hire those type of skill sets in that they don't. You, just because you go to a class doesn't make you an expert. But these vendors have the experts. Is that one of the biggest trends you're seeing is that agencies are really interested in managed services? Because and those of us who have been around a long time remember, right, uh, seat management was popular in the mid-2000s. Was it in the 90s before my time? ASPs, alternative service providers. We saw the NMCI. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Is managed service is something that's becoming more popular? Is, is that one of the things that you're having the biggest conversations around? We are. We're talking. I'm a big believer in going to industry that are experts. This is a core competency of their company. We should be leveraging companies to provide services back that that's their core competency. And all nine vendors, this is a core competency for them, what they do on EIS. So what about the agencies, though? As you're working with them through their fair opportunity solicitations and you're helping them develop it, is, where is managed services coming up in the, in the discussion points? Is it V or Z or is it you know, C or B? You know? it, 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 it is. So, so, for example, one agency sat there and says, we don't have the skills. So they are in their solicitation, they're looking for a network as a service. And that's 
perfect. There's two aspects of that, two benefits. One, they're, they're out, they can take those resources that they've been using to, for their infrastructure, the agency, and then give higher value uh, responsibilities to something else. Uh, for example, if their focus is, there's things that are government inherent. So, for example, with cybersecurity being a big push, agencies have to be more sharper and, and more honed on what needs to things. And some of those decisions can't be made by vendors. It has to be made by government people. So part of the philosophy is to sit there and take some of those staff and focus on higher value type responsibilities that need to be done. At the same time, getting out of the hardware business. Uh, so a network as a service, I, who cares what's that device? Just get the connectivity there. And that's important. And these nine vendors can do that. And so uh, in trying to manage infrastructure across technologies changing at a rapid pace. And when you have network as a service, it allows you to move that technology out seamlessly and continue to service. The important thing is, is to hold the vendors to their service level agreements and making sure that they're delivering. And whether it's wired or wireless in terms of what they provide, uh, they're being able to provide those services so the agencies can get out of that business. We have to take a break. My guest today is Alan Hill, the director of the Telecommunication Services Office at the General Services Administration. I sat down with Hill during an event sponsored by the industry group Act IAC talking about the EIS contract. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Alan Hill the director of the Telecommunication Services Office at the General Services Administration. I sat down with Hill during an event sponsored by industry group Act IAC to discuss the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, or EIS, contract. Uh, J.D. Henley, Verizon. As you see technology evolving over the life of the EIS contract, how do you see the contract uh, being modified to take on those new technologies to bring them in so the government is able to take advantage and get the benefit of them? One, the catalog is extremely important and a key benefit of EIS. And not just from the types of service, but the new technologies of being able to bring those on board. Because six months from now, something else is new going to happen. And we've got to be able to do this and have the agencies be able to leverage those services without having to go through this mundane, far process every single time. A lot of agencies develop their EIS plans, their strategies, their pushing you know, a year and a half, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Has, has there been any sort of updates? Have you have GSA worked with agencies? Because I know you, you can't, if an agency updates and doesn't tell you, you don't know, but have you encouraged them, emphasized to them that, hey, technology has changed over the last two years? Like, we weren't talking about SDN two years ago. We weren't really talking about 5G two years ago. Have, have they updated their strategies, their plans for how to move forward with the EIS? They have updated their plans. I can't remember exactly what the date is, but they, they've updated their EIS plans. And the focus on the EIS plan is not so much on the technology, but more focus on the programmatic aspect of the things and making sure it's successful and, and making sure the resources are identified and the timelines that they're, they're, they're set to. Uh, and uh, to me, we shouldn't get tied to technology. And, and that, that's the first... The first thing that happens that, that IT folks, as an engineer, I'm at fault for doing that, we talk about the technology, vice the business needs. And we need to focus on the business needs because the technology is going to change out. 
the, the business needs are going to continue to be the same. And I think that the strategy generally, hopefully, it wouldn't say, well, we will move to this technology on this date, but it's going to say what's our mission goal, right, and what's our objective and how do we get there. And that the, the technology of how to get there, that is what's changed. So the end result may not have changed, but, but the process by which. So that's why I think that's one question that's come up several times from mm-hmm. when I've talked to vendors about kind of like, well, if you're still look, using a strategy that's two years old, it's time for an update. Mm-hmm. Another question? All right. Not yet? All right. One of the uh, things that um, comes up when you, talk to, when, you, when you talk to agencies is this idea of how do we not make the same mistakes that we made with networks? Networks took, you know, GAO says three years too long, $300 million too much more money. What's some of those lessons that you've learned? And I know you weren't there during the network's transition, but what were some of those lessons that GSA has learned that you are applying that we can see, like, well, oh, that's having an impact or that's, that's making things run more smoothly? We have a great transition coordinating team who has been facilitating and working closely with all the agencies to share lessons learned and uh, great, a, a awesome knowledge base of information that agencies have been leveraging to help ensure that we don't make those same mistakes. The one thing that agencies, that there's the concern about is that they're just going to kind of throw the requirements over the fence and, and, and get away from it or, or the delays and delays. And yeah, I think that's why you get so many questions about the deadline, right? We all love the deadline. Well, what's going to happen if they don't make the deadline? Because I think we remember what happened with networks that just got extended and extended. And, and that actually, it's a, it's a little bit of a segue to, you guys did just extend the WITS contracts and the local telecom contracts? Is that? That's right. So walk the, us through that decision. So in order to ensure that modernization has occurred, the LSAs, WITS, and the networks contract have all been extended to May of 2023. They're in the process of being extended. We're working with the vendors to do that. And that is important to do that so that it allows the off-ramp of services and and if we provide if we put unrealistic requirements against the vendors to meet something that is impossible when i was at education (laughs) i transitioned things although the vendors we had great partnerships and stuff and they made that transition a success but it took a lot of planning and everything to do that it's important because we're talking a, a massive change. Every single yeah, federal okay. agency in the DOD is having this done. And in order to do this, it's going to take these nine vendors, along with their partners, to come in to be able to be successful. And so they're going to need that timeline to make sure that those type of things and not break the mission. That's all the time we have for today. My guest was Alan Hill, the director of the Telecommunication Services Office at the General Services Administration. I sat down with Hill during an event sponsored by the industry group ACT IACT to discuss the EIS contract. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 